Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is Andrew Reid. Andrew's been on the podcast before. He's a personal trainer. And one of the things I really like about Andrew is he cuts to the chase. And on this episode today, we talk about why it's useful to have someone in your life, a coach, a friend, a partner, who can cut to the chase and be critical of some of the things that you're doing to help you improve and help you become a better person. We also talk about some of the triggers that can lead you to resorting to old habits that you want to avoid, whether that's eating poorly, missing workouts, or conducting yourself in a way that you don't want to conduct yourself. We also talk about why uh, a way that you can increase the amount of time that you spend active during the week. And this one simple exercise that anyone can do to stay healthier, not increase the load or the intensity of their training, but one way that he recommends to most of his clients to stay healthier in general, uh, but a very, very simple way. So let's get into the episode. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while and you haven't left us a review on the iTunes store, then I would love it if you left us an honest review. That's all I ask of you. Please leave an honest review on the iTunes store. Let's get straight into the episode. Andrew, thanks so much for joining me on the on the podcast. Uh, we were on the podcast probably four or five years ago, I think it was, and uh, came across you through a couple of friends um, who said, this guy, this guy is a great um, strength and conditioning coach. He knows his stuff and um, you should speak to him. So that's how, how we got in contact. And um, since then you're, well, at the moment you're writing a, a book. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about, um, that and, um, and what you're kind of looking at at the moment with the situation of the world and where you think people are going wrong and some things that you, you think people are doing right. I think that'd be a good place to start. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and weirdly that's actually kind of exactly what the book is. So the book was, so I run a program called the 28 day challenge. That's how imaginative I am. It's 28 days and I called it the 28 day challenge, but I came up with that because I didn't want to have to talk to clients about food and when they should go to bed and like all the basic stuff that, you know, like from a professional viewpoint, you just kind of think, well, of course everyone knows to do this, but as it turns out, not everyone knows that they need seven or eight hours of sleep every night. Most people are at, you know, like when you're talking about, um, aggressive kind of uh, uh, people with, with a lot of ambition and they're hardworking corporate types, uh, CFO kind of people, the guys who've done Ironman and stuff like that, they don't normally want to rest. They will actually overwork themselves. And so they think it's normal to sleep five hours a night and they wonder why they can't get anywhere. So I developed this 28 day challenge to, to teach them what the basics really were and the results were really good. And there is a manual that goes with it, which is, you know, including the workout plan and there's a score sheet for it and stuff. It's like 40 pages as a PDF, which is really about 20 to 25 pages of material. And I started thinking, well, actually, this is something that I should expand on and, and make applicable to like, and it, it, originally it was like 40 plus, but I think looking at master's age groups, it, it's 35 for men and 30 for women in most sports. And so really that's kind of the age group it's aimed at. It is more targeted towards men than women because women have, there are some specifics about diet that coincide with their menstrual cycle. But beyond that, the rest of it is actually the same. Um, and so as I've been writing it, it's funny that I've said to all my clients, and I've got about, I've got about 60 clients right now. So even during this Corona thing, 
nothing's really changed for me. The only thing that's changed is obviously some people who are working out at home with either very limited equipment or no equipment compared to having access to a gym. But I've said to all my clients, I think this is the best opportunity that many of you are ever going to have to get a six pack because, well, so, and this is one of the things we work on quite a lot and I'm, I'm developing this as well. I'm working with a PhD level therapist on creating a mindset component. It'll be a 12 month training plan that comes with like a monthly mindset component just to help people be as successful as possible. But we work very much on reframing things. So instead of saying things like, oh, you know, I can't go to my favorite restaurant. Fantastic. I can't go out to eat. I have to prepare all my food on my, for myself now. You know, takeaway is limited. All these things are limited. Well, what a great opportunity to get as lean as possible right now because you can absolutely control everything you eat. So there's no more saying, oh, because of this work meeting, you know, I, I couldn't eat well or I had to travel for work. Well, there's none of that either. So everyone right now has this unprecedented opportunity. And because of the, the lack of commuting time for a lot of people, you know, they're saving anywhere up to two hours a day for some people. A yeah. lot of my guys are actually training twice a day now. So I've got 40 to 50 year old guys training twice a day, which most people would tell you is impossible, but it's not. The difference is that because we're really controlling sleep, food, you know, like stress levels and, you know, what I was saying about ambition before, I have a guy who works for Microsoft. He works in like uh, data security in the iCloud department, right? And he started this job literally the week before everyone got sent home to work from home. So he's got a brand new job. He's got uh, new customers. He's got homeschooling. He's got all this other stuff going on. And he's like fairly senior. Guy was working 16 hours a day. Well, how do you think he was coping with that? Probably not very well. So again, we came back to like what the basics of the book were. And the basics of the book are, hey, I need you to get this much sleep every night. And not even from an athletic perspective, but just if you want to make you know like the process of sleep we store memory properly when we sleep we repair cellular damage when we sleep so there's links that show that like alzheimer's risk is increased when sleep goes down obesity risk doubles under six hours a night motor control under six hours of sleep a night goes down to the same levels as if you were 0.05 blood alcohol content hmm. which is quite scary when you think if you're driving around the majority of people driving around near you have probably had six hours or less of sleep they're basically as impaired as if they were too drunk to drive in our country. Mm. Yeah. Pretty scary, right? And yeah. then there's other people doing that who've got their kids in the car, which you know you would hope they would never drink drive with their kids in the car, but they're basically doing the same thing. So sleep is really important. And being able to say to this guy, and again, reframing, going, okay, so let's look at it from another perspective. I get that you're ambitious. I get you've got a new job. I get there's a lot of stress going on right now. And you, and you want to keep your job because let's be honest, a lot of people are out of work right now. But if you keep going at 16 hour days, how long is that going to last? Like mm -hmm. you're going to blow to pieces in a couple of weeks. And if you have staff on your team doing that, what would you say to them? You go, well, I'd tell them to go to sleep. Well, <laughs> why is that good enough for the staff and not for you? You know, so yeah. um, being able to, to talk to people and and show them what's important. The book is is really helpful for that. Or the manual for the 28-day challenge gives that framework because all these guys have done that. But the book will actually be available more widely. It'll go just straight through my website. People will be able to, to um, download it for free. So they've got that, uh, that um, information always. Uh, it's so true about the stuff that you think most people know 
they don't know. Like I, the way, the way I'm thinking about that is with, uh, with swimming, it's like, you know, something I've been doing since I was really young kid. And you know, you, you think that it's just common knowledge, but when I look at the, say the videos or the podcasts that I've done, the ones where I'm talking about the most basic things, they're the ones that people have um, found most helpful. Like I, I did a video about breathing yeah. um, and, and that one just went, yeah, it was really, really popular. And I thought, but it's, it's just too simple, but that's it. Like it, it's these, these real fundamentals, these real basics that um, a lot of people don't actually know, if, especially if they have never had a, like a, a coach or they've never had someone talk yeah. to them about sleep or diet. Um, like they, they just don't know that stuff. And if you can get those fundamentals right and get the basics right, then you are on such a good platform to then be able to improve all the other aspects of your your life is so much easier. Whereas if you don't get yeah, those yeah. fundamentals right, I mean, you just, you're not, you're not building a house on, on, on rock at all. It's just, it's not going to last. Yeah. I, I remember training with John Van Wisser and, you know, I came from when I, and I swam at school, not at a super high level, but reasonably. Um, and we were always taught to breathe three strokes. And so that was what I'd always done. And I went and did some sessions with Johnny. He just went, breathe every two. And I said, oh, but, you know, I'm only going to breathe one side then and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, look, it's an aerobic sport. You need oxygen. Get the oxygen in. Yeah. Full stop. And it totally transformed my swimming. Such a small yeah. tip. And, and, you know, it's the same with, I, I can remember I had this guy, he was a world champion powerlifter. And I had written in his program that I wanted him to do SLD, which in my head stands for single leg deadlift. In his world, it stands for stiff legged deadlift. And so, and he's a really strong guy, right? But I would look at the weight that he lifted and for how many reps, I'd be like, wow, that's crazy kind of numbers for that exercise. <laughs> and he's, and, and he said to me, oh, really? Because, you know, I, I feel like it's actually down a bit and blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't until we went back and forth a few times, I realized like, wait, you're talking about something completely different. So even little things like that, like I'll say, you know, this exercise, a burpee is another great example. A burpee in my head always has a push-up in it. If it doesn't have a push-up, it's called a squat thrust. But you get people now who say, oh, well, do you want me to do burpees with or without the push-ups? There's only one way, but, but most people don't even know that. There's another exercise called something complete, completely different. So for me, always remembering that, hey, I have to make sure that, that I'm looking at things from their eyes. And, you know, like when you speak to someone about something for the first time, something as simple as keep your wrist straight. Can you see me on the video? So if I grip something and grab my, you know, I'll grab my water bottle. If I grip something, right? So this is straight. It looks straight, right? But look at the angle of my knuckles. My hand's actually pointing back this way. Straight is here. Like the hand that I would punch someone with, which if you're swimming with paddles, it's the same hand, right? Because I wouldn't swim like that. So straight is straight. But when you tell someone you want them to hold their wrist straight when they're doing something, they'll immediately revert to this, this wrong position. But this creates problems either at the elbow or the shoulder later on. Mm. So, you know, it, like it, it actually takes time to, to take pictures and, and, you know, like point arrows at things and circle things and all these kind of stuff. So people actually understand, but, but the little basic things for a lot of people, like you say, who come to things as an adult without any coaching, it's very difficult for them. Because, you know, the things that they've always assumed, and I get this from customers all the time, even, you know, now online, you know, remotely with video and stuff like that, saying, I've never had someone coach me as strictly as you. What the hell were you paying for? Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine, imagine someone came to swim coaching and you just let them, like, flop up and down the lane however they wanted to every single time they came. Like, it's, it's not really going to be very effective, right?
Mm. And this is, and one of the big disconnects I see with people is, is people would very clearly understand the technique and the form involved in swimming. They are starting to understand this form involved with running. You know, it's a little bit slow, but people are starting to go, okay, well, there's probably some shapes that we need to be making when we do this. If we're talking martial arts, there's very like defined form of what it should look like. And then we get to weightlifting or something and people think, oh, just do it however you want. You know, everything physical should have a, a fairly strict form and body shapes will change. But, you know, like a, a neutral spine is a neutral spine regardless of how long your spine is. And so getting people to understand this or even getting coaches to explain it is, is sometimes a bit of a slow process. It's it's funny you mentioned about the the wrist, right? I mean, in in freestyle and swimming, same thing. You need that to be flat, right? And so so many people actually have it that way as well. Like they're they're trying to pull through the water with it's a slight angle, it's a very slight difference, but it makes a, a world of uh, a world of difference just getting that part right. And yeah, um, and when I do the the analysis with people in our our membership, they'll send videos sort of every two or three weeks, and I'm being quite particular about some of the things that they're doing. But there's a reason for it. It's like, well, if you get this this part right, it's it's these little one percenters that over time are going to add up, might stop you from getting injured. And uh, yeah, it's being particular, and it's certainly you got to develop that eye for it, um, which you know, which we do when you're working that much and that closely with people. But uh, yeah, like it, 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 it you, there's so much to it that if you've got someone like yourself looking at all those finer details, that's what's going to stop you from. Um, or from not being able to, to do those exercises three months down the track when you injure yourself and, um, and just learning it right. I mean, I, I did a, uh, it was like a, like a lifting, lifting class in New South Wales when I was, I was there with a friend and um, the guy was a, um, it was, it was like, I think he was a power lifter and he was a very good coach. There's like maybe five of us in there and I wasn't using any weights. So I was just using the bar, the most basic stuff. And it, I, I started to get them right. I reckon maybe 80% right just without any weight. But it, had I have gone for any sort of weight, like with these sort of movements, it would would not have helped at all. Um, just even putting, Absolutely. yeah. So um, that sort of technique makes a, a big difference. So uh, but uh, you, you must see with swimming as well, when people, so intensity obviously in swimming is speed, right? Or maybe volume kind of adds that extra complexity. But uh, I, I coach motorcycle riding as well. And, and to me, actually, because the, the group that I work for, they call the California Superbike School, they've probably got the most detailed coaching process out of any group I've ever seen. The, to get in as a coach is super difficult. Uh, there's constant education that has to happen. It, it's almost like having, when I say another job, I don't mean like every now and then. I mean, like you need to spend a couple of hours every single week working on this stuff to even stay good enough to stay in. Hmm. But... Um, someone could do something slow and the moment they start adding speed, which, which is what the intensity is on the racetrack, it all just falls to pieces. And so people go, Oh, well, it's cause I'm going slow. I can't do it. Right. Mate, if you can't do it at 60 kilometers an hour, you're not going to do it at 160. No. You know, like, like I, I guarantee when your eyes are as big as dinner plates and you're worrying about crashing, you're definitely not going to do the right thing at that point. So, mm. you know, if you can't do it light, you're not going to do it heavy full stop. Oh, exactly right. Um, and I know you're a big proponent of uh, one of the things I like about the, the, the things that you post is like you, you do cut the crap, like you, you are happy to say what you think um, and, and speak your mind, which I think is, which I think is great. And um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I, I do enjoy you talking about is like, you're a big proponent of 
just getting out and going for a walk, like just, just walk and get some movement going. And so where does that stem from for, for you? Like why, why is that such a big um, proponent of what people should be, be doing? And were you always at that point where you just sort of cut to the chase and we're happy to, to speak your mind or is it something that you just kind of, you got sick of, uh, of, of dancing around the topic? Uh, no, it's pretty much always gotten me in trouble. <laughs> but look, in fairness to the way it is, like if you come to a, a training session, like a group training environment, right? So most classes are like an hour in most gym setups. Let's say I've got a dozen people. Well, that means realistically, I'm only going to get five minutes with each person, right? Now, someone who's really good and doesn't need much help, maybe actually they're just going to get one or two minutes so I can spend a couple of bonus minutes with someone else. But on average, five minutes per person. I don't have time to ask you how you feel and are you enjoying it? And like, I, I need to actually get you to do the right thing as quickly as possible so you actually get the result you're paying for, which is to get fitter, stronger, leaner, faster, whatever it happens to be. So I, I can't afford to waste the time just beating around the bush. I have, to, I have to come to the point. So that's kind of how it developed. And now probably is very developed to the point where it's difficult. Um, what I say difficult, as in difficult for new people to deal with it because most people will, will be used to a little bit of uh, like softening kind of like social norm sort of stuff beforehand. And, and I, I, like they might send me, you know, like an email like this and then get back a one sentence reply which will be me going, this is the biggest problem and this is what I want to address. And, and that takes them a little while to get used to. Mm. In terms of the walking stuff, um, I think, you know, over time, I've, I've started just thinking, well, you know, we've been here for about a million years, roughly, in this shape, right? So, so there hasn't been any huge change in our body shape. for It's about 650,000 years. So what are the things that made the human body the human body? So bipedal stance is one of them, hands, uh, ability to sweat. So we, we've got a whole bunch of things that kind of set us apart from the rest of the animal kingdom. But because of some of those adaptations, so like the shape of the heel is, is meant to be quite efficient so you can rock and save energy. Uh, we have glutes, so you can't actually stand fully upright without glutes. You can't run without glutes. So like even though a monkey can stand upright, they don't have glutes like we do, so they can't run. The shape of the toes, the length of the Achilles tendon, there's even a ligament in the base of your head called the knuckle ligament, N-U-C-H-A-L, might be nuchal, depending on school of biology, but it stops your head doing this when you run, right? No other primate has that because they can't run. So that's a specific adaptation. So when I started looking at, okay, the human body is designed for this, I need to get people, instead of trying to take their square peg body and try to bash it into a round hole, we need to at least honor the things that make us human. So the things that made us human and really set us apart on an evolutionary perspective, we're being able to forage for food for long periods of time in hot temperatures. So when a lion or something might have to rest under a tree because of our bipedal stance, we could, so we don't cop as much heat because we're upright. The air higher up off the ground is cooler. So it means actually we're, we're not overheating as much, plus we sweat. We've got a really powerful aerobic system. We're designed to move for five to eight hours a day. It's estimated that foraging for food for our ancestors was 15 to 18 kilometers of movement a day. Hmm. So you start to put in perspective when people go, you know, I'm really active, mate, you do one hour of exercise seven days a week. That's less than 4% of your week. I don't really think we can count that as active. If we can add an hour of walking on a day, it's still not a terrible amount, but now we're up to 8% at least. So we're starting to actually have a little bit more on our side to work with. 
so that was like the first thing is starting to go, well, okay, what's the body designed for? And if you look at some of the things we can do, like while we're very efficient cycling, for instance, we're not designed to cycle. Our spines don't actually like being bent over for long periods of time. And we actually spend a lot of time sit down with our spine bent over anyway. So actually, for, and you see this a lot with guys in my age group, we start to get a bit older and they gravitate away from something like running because they've hurt themselves too many times because they haven't done all this kind of resiliency work and they gravitate towards cycling, wonder why their back hurts because it's not designed to do that, mate. You sit down all day long, you should have chosen a leisure activity that wasn't sitting down. Mm. You probably actually need something that involves standing up. So once you start to add it all together and you start going, okay, so like swimming, for instance, awesome. And I think backstroke might actually be the most effective thing you could do to reverse all of the sitting down that people do gets you in a straight line and gets you working all the muscles that go that way, which is not something we do very often and allows you to get a lot of reps in, which is not something you can do with anything else. Yeah. Very so true. the, yeah. And then when we look at what is most important, so the modern fitness industry wants to sell you uh, a neatly packaged plan, right? Whether it's because it has to be something new because that's a really powerful sales tool, new and improved always beats in people's minds old and trustworthy for some reason mm. right so never mm. never mind that walking's been around for a million years i'm going to give you a, a 20 minute tabata class or something that's going to be more effective well for a single class you might burn more calories but i, I can tell you now that if you train that hard like a pump class or a, a high intensity spinning class or any, any of the normal group exercise kind of things you can't do that seven days a week and you can't do it seven days a week for the rest of your life. And when we look at what makes the biggest difference with people, in, it's not intensity, it's consistency that makes the biggest difference. So if you and I are picking, and this is a good time to talk about this, if we're picking a zombie apocalypse team, right? At the end of the year, we have to pick our team. I have a guy who trains seven days a week at 60 to 70% year round. He gets, we'll call it six days a week because that gives us 300 sessions roughly for the year. If your guy trains flat out three days a week, he only has 150 sessions for the year, mm. right? Now he might work harder during his session, but when you're coming to pick your guy, who's going to be durable, long lasting, able to just keep doing like, just like diesel power and chugging along, I'm picking the 300 session guy every single time. And mm. when you start adding that up over 20, 30, 40 years, you start to realize the real power of getting in 250 to 300 workouts a year for 10 years is pretty powerful. So in the same period of time, you know, the three day a week guy, he gets, uh, if it's uh, three days a week for five years, right? So he gets uh, 150 sessions times five years. What's that? 7,500, 750, sorry. Yeah. No, 7,500. Yeah. My guy in the same period of time essentially has, 10 years of training in a five year period compared to the same guy. Mm. The only way you're going to get there is with lower intensity stuff. And so even when you look at elite athletes, like people would look at a, like a Kipchoge at the moment and go, Oh, well, you know, he did this many like four minute K's or something. Yeah. Four minute K is like 60% of his max heart rate. Hmm. He, he, he could have had a sleep at that heart rate. That's how fit he is. But People see it and they think, well, that's how fast I need to be running. For most people, you need to be running more like six to seven minute kilometers for a similar effort. So, mm. and you see it with swimming. How do you work on technique in swimming if they're working 100% all the time? It's impossible. Yeah. You actually have to dial them back so they can work on the technique, right? 
It's all about lowering that intensity and getting the consistency. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, speaking with uh, a guy, Dan Smith, who was on the Olympic team um, a couple of years back, he uh, he looked at his stroke and thought, I just got to, I got to fix this. Uh, Like there's so much wrong with it that I can do a lot better. And for him at that Olympic level, he was something like six to nine months where he, he did very little fast swimming and it was just all slow, a um, lot of drills, a lot of technique work. And he just had to start from, from scratch and just like went completely back to basics and then was building up to eventually doing that um, at higher intensities and, and, and at faster speed. But even for him, he, like, he, he couldn't sustain it um, at those higher speeds straight away. It took him a while to, to build it up. And that's someone who's is touted as the next Ian Thorpe um he like at that at that top level so to think that you're not going to have to do that if you're just you know an average joe so like it's you're kidding yourself you've you've got to um just really come back to to basics and um and know that it's the that more long-term approach that is going to to help you uh going forwards And, and as a coach when i first started like i thought you should someone should be able to pick up the things that i'm telling them or teaching them pick it up straight away and be able to do it but you get a little bit smarter, you get a little bit older and you start to figure out, okay, this stuff takes time. It takes you at least 66 days to, to change a habit. And, um, and it's not always going to feel good. And you know, you're going to go through this cycle of emotions and, and how your body adapts to it. Um, you get a little bit smarter that way. And, and that I think really helps as a, as a coach approaching these things. And if you can share that with the, the people that you are coaching, it makes a big difference for them knowing what they're going to go through. Um, and maybe the frustrations of, I want to push hard, like I'm feeling good, but you know, you've got to, you've got to bring them back a little bit sometimes. Yeah. I mean, habit building, that's a really interesting thing for now. So, you know, I've got guys and we're obviously working on food and, and like, like basic stuff like that all the time. And, And food's really tricky because if you think about when you were little, so my background is in my household, I got a dollar for pocket money every week when I was little. That's how old I am. I was probably worth like about 20 bucks today, but I got a dollar. And uh, if I got a dollar, I could have a candy bar, like a Snickers or a Mars bar or something. If I didn't have the chocolate, I got $2, right? So you, but you see the perceived value of it. It's worth double, right? And so there was never really junk in our house. We had a very limited amount of junk food. It would come out for like Easter or Christmas or, or a birthday or something like that. But again, in fairly limited quantities. Um, and then when I did Ironman and, you know, for people who've done Ironman, you know, you can eat whatever you want. And I, I remember there was a point in the peak weeks where I was, I was eating like a family sized chocolate bar a day and still losing half a kilo a week. Hmm. And I, I, like, I'm not carrying a huge amount of extra fat, but I was still losing weight every week. And so I have this feast or famine kind of thing with, with junk food. Right. But when I was little, so it was, it was really valuable, right? So it was coveted by, by me and my brother. Uh, my partner is in the exact same boat. But if I did something really successful, maybe you did get a treat. Like if you had a really big win at a sporting event or something, maybe you got taken to McDonald's or something afterwards. But also if you had a really bad day, like I remember one day uh, and I was getting off the tram in Melbourne at school time, so the trams are packed. And I, I was little, I was only in like grade five or something. And the tram started moving before I'd fully gotten off. And I actually had to jump off the, a moving tram. And so like, like I was a bit banged up. I didn't break anything, but I was a bit banged up. But I got taken to McDonald's for that too. So, so good and bad in my house, there was this food reward. Now, I'm lucky in that because my job actually revolves somewhat around how I look. I am 
conscious of what I eat all the time. So I've broken most of that stuff, but it's still there to a little bit. But mm. if you have a, like some of my clients, you know, they're in their forties, they're overweight. They've basically always been overweight. You're not going to break habits revolving around food in a week, a month, two months, three months. It's going to take a while. And so one of the things we work on at the moment, and this is a mindset thing as well is, is, and I feel like I've had this conversation with half a dozen guys already this week is that you need to be both the carrot and the stick at all times, which is a very difficult balancing act because while I need to be tough on myself and try to always go to a, a higher level, try to make myself better. That's one of the things we work on all the time is, is we're not just, we're not just making ourselves physically better. We're actually using this to create leverage for the rest of our lives to create more discipline, better relationships, to be more clear headed at work and earn more money. We're actually using this as the springboard for everything because the reality is the only thing you can really control in life is what goes in your mouth and how you treat your body. You can't control And this thing has shown us that, right? Coronavirus has shown us you can have, have zero control over anything else other than how you treat your body. So I need to be tough on myself, but at the same time, I've got to be realistic and say, I'm not breaking 40 years of habits in the first week of lockdown. That's just not going to happen. Mm. So, uh, there are going to be slip-ups, but then the slip-up should be, and it's Wednesday for us today, very typical in an early diet setting. Someone would get to a Wednesday or Thursday having done the early part of the week, great, and then fall off the wagon for whatever reason, right? And we also work on identifying the triggers that set off that, that change in habit and then making plans around them, right? But So they fall off the wagon and instead of waiting till Monday, because that's a really common thing is people go, I'll start again Monday, right? Then it's next Monday, the Monday after, the Monday after. Next thing you know, it's a year later and actually you're more out of shape than you are now. But we go straight back to the plan at the very next meal. So it doesn't matter if you woke up and you had chocolate chip cookies for breakfast. Okay, like I get it. Like you saw the news, the news was upsetting. Uh, in Australia today, we woke up to hear four police officers were killed overnight on a freeway. My partner's a firefighter. She was on night shift last night. She didn't go to that, but at her station, one of the other trucks did. So she saw the guys coming back from that job. They had to fill in at other stations to cover all the other people that went. It's affected the whole community in emergency services, right? So, and I woke up this morning and actually the first thing I saw was that on the news. And I messaged her straight away to make sure she was okay. But it would be really normal under those sort of circumstances or when you're reading some of this stuff about coronavirus or what's going on in the US, or it's very easy to get upset and, and get pulled out of like your like your winner's mindset where you're focused and disciplined and, and head towards that emotional side. So yeah, I get it. You know, this, this is going to happen. That's okay. Go straight back to the plan next time and let's start making a strategy around it because once you identify what it is. So for me watching the news, I'm down to about 10 minutes at night now. So I watch it first thing in the morning while I'm having breakfast, which is a couple of minutes. And then I watch it 10 minutes at night. I get all the information I need and then it gets turned off because otherwise it's too easy to get distracted by the whole thing and get pulled into the stuff you see on social media with, you know, all of a sudden everyone's a, a virus expert and they're a political pundit. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like it's just, it's not worth it. So uh, it, it, it's very important with habit building that people are both tough on themselves and easy at the same time, because it, it's in a lot of cases, when you look at the psychology of it, it's not as simple as I wanted the chocolate bar. It's maybe mm -hmm. I wanted the chocolate bar because every time I got bullied at high school and I got bullied nonstop for three years or something, but that was what I got when I came home crying because of my mum. So now when I feel bad, my instant reaction is I want that chocolate bar because that's what I associate with being made to feel better as a kid. 
And do you find identifying those triggers for people and, and showing them, all right, this is, this is why uh, you're resorting to that. Does that give them a little bit more power to be able to, to go, okay, yeah, I can see what's happening here and then they can stop it. Is that, that, that that's yeah, the absolutely. So we, we do a thing called a risk obstacle and trigger document. So they'll, and like Christmas is a really good example. So people will say, oh, you know, I've got seven office Christmas parties coming up. Okay. Well, so we know the temptation in groups, and this is not individual, this is everybody. They tend to overeat, they tend to overdrink. So let's create some strategies around that. So the first one always with the alcohol is just to say to people, no, I drove. Because no one will tempt you to drink if, you, if they know you're driving. Well, no one like sane and mature anyway. <laughs> um, the next one actually is, and, and we've had people have to call out some of their friends when their friends are like, no, I have a drink. You know, what's wrong with you? Why, why don't you want to have a drink? You know, hang on. Are, are you my friend? Like the person who's supposed to be on my side telling me to do something that's actually going to make me endanger other people when I go drive home later on. We need to be like, are you genuinely my friend or not? Because no friend would ever say that to someone. So having people realize things like that, that's really important. But once you identify it, you can make a plan. Otherwise, you're just reactive to everything. So the, the sitting down and actually writing out the risks and triggers. Uh, we have, uh, there's always food ones. We have alcohol. Uh, there can be social situations which drive some of that stuff as well. There can be work. Uh, some people avoid going to sleep. Some people avoid workouts. So once we start to figure out where people are falling down and we have a base scoring system in the 28 day challenge. So like for workouts for the week, you should get one point a day. You should get six points for the week. If you come to me and you say, well, I got two points and you're getting two points consistently week after week. Well, there's a problem with the workouts. Uh, we get four meals a day. So you get 28 points for food. If you come along and you say, well, I got an 11 for food. Well, we got, we got some problems, but if you're telling me you're getting 24 for food and two for workouts, it's pretty easy to figure out where the problem is. Hmm. So once we can identify the problems, which is really what the point system does, it shows us where the biggest problems for things are. Uh, then we can start to create some strategies around them. And once you're aware of them and you've made some plans, and this is again with habit building, you're not going to be successful every time. So, you know, like going to a social situation, you might slip up the first three, four, five, ten, whatever times. But each time you do, it's important not to just chuck your hands in the air and say, oh, well, I was at a party, you know, ha, 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 had a drink. Well, if you really want to make the change, we need a new plan. And so the thing you did, you didn't quite do well enough. It needs to be tweaked somewhere. And you might end up with, you know, like, like if we're talking drinking in a social situation, maybe it's actually version 8, version 9, version 13, 14, 15, whatever. It's, you know, but, but always remembering that the goal is to go back to the plan. So you don't just chuck your hands in the air and say, oh, you know, sorry, I ate two packs of tin cans and, you know, 16 beers. Well, okay, let's go back to the plan and, and figure it out because otherwise you're just reacting to stuff the whole time. And it's not until people are aware of the problems. That's always the, the, the biggest issue is, is getting them to, for themselves to be aware that it's a problem. But then, um, uh, getting them to start thinking about how they can fix the problem because it's no good if I tell you you need to stop drinking when you go out on a Friday night, mm. right? It's only good if you say to me, I want to stop drinking on Friday night, you know, and I go, okay, well, what are you going to do about that? I, I can't actually tell you what to do. You have to figure out how to do it. So this is like in the 28 day challenge, I give you how to eat, like what a meal should look like. But I never tell you on day one, week one, you should eat three eggs and 
don't know, 100 grams of smoked salmon or something. Because on week day 29, when the program finishes and I'm not there to tell you what to eat, how do you know why you were eating what you had to eat for breakfast every day? You know, it, it only works if you actually know how to fit it all into your life. And so when you look at like Biggest Loser is a good example. The people who do well in Biggest Loser, they come out and they basically go, they fail straight away because they don't have to control anything in the house. There's no kids, no work, no distractions. They've got time to exercise. They've got time to prep their food. They've got all the available stuff in front of them with no distractions. And then we put them back into their life. They never got taught how to make it fit into their regular life. Well, of course they're going to fail. So, you know, like when you're, you're building stuff with people, you got to make them aware of it. And then they have to answer the question as to how they're going to make it work. Because I can tell you what works for me, but my life isn't your life. We've got different lives. So I, I can help you because I can say I've got 40 guys and 13 of them had the exact same problem. And here's what they did. You know, maybe you should try this too, but I will never say you need to do this. That's not my job. I think, um, <laughs> so you go. Uh, with, with habit building stuff, you know, and it's very different to like, if you were lifting weights, you know, I would just flat out say, I need you to do this. That's different. But when we're talking about lifestyle habit stuff, hmm. it's no good for me to tell you what to do. You have to come to that realization yourself. So, and again, the, the only way to make that happen is for them to become aware of it in the first yeah. place. One of the, uh, I've spoken about this before, but one of the best articles I've ever read about coaching was, um, was written about a guy called Bill Sweetnam and how he's changed his approach to, to coaching and um, what he does now. And, and I think this is, and I sort of tell this to anyone who is a, is a swim coach, like the, what he does now is instead of telling people, right, like do another 200, like you were too slow. You should have gone to 222. You know, you were too slow. He asked them questions now. So he's um, diving into making them realize where they went wrong or what they did right. And then getting them to come up the, with those solutions. It's right. All right. You, you missed your times here. Um, you know, where do you think you could have found those three seconds? And, you know, do you think if you do another two of these, that that's going to help you make the Olympic team? Like he's getting them to come up with the, the solutions and getting them to think about it. And that's what I try and do. Even with the younger, the younger kids that I sometimes coach, it's like, yeah, yeah. You sort of need to tell them, um, probably more so than the, the adults. But if you're asking the right questions, they are going to become so much more knowledgeable about and take ownership of those things. And for anything that comes down to like lifestyle, when there's not a coach there, it's like they've got the tools there to be able to ask themselves the right questions and, and, and pick up whether they are making the right decisions or not. This is when I mentioned the motorbike school before, the California Superbike School. That's our coaching process. So when I say it's the best in the world, I mean, we're following it. And, and the guy who came up with it is not an Olympic level swim coach. He actually is uh, just a motorbike junkie in the US. Uh, kind of is a California surfer dude. Um, but we'll do exactly that. So, you know, you'll follow a student around and you'll see them maybe offline in a corner. And when you come in and say, oh, you know, how was that session? And they'll say, oh, that was great. You know, like, like wow, that draw was amazing. And I might say, because I want to draw their attention to something, was that the line you wanted through turn four? Oh yeah, yeah, that's totally where I wanted to be. Well, were you able to get on the throttle hard coming out of that corner and actually accelerate down towards the next corner effectively? Oh no, now that you mention it, yeah, I was probably out a little bit wide and I would have run off if I'd come on the throttle. But it's only when you make them aware of it and you draw their attention to something that they can actually create an answer for themselves. 
So, uh, I mean, I've had people go out and, you know, the racetrack's pretty easy because it's the same every time. And so you can say to someone, I want you to go out and tell me which part of the ripple strip's got the most rubber on it because that's where the apex of the corner is supposed to be. And they'll come in and say, oh, you know, it was like three metres past where I thought the apex of the corner was. And what did that do to your line through the corner and blah, blah, blah. And so suddenly by doing this, this question process, we actually can advance much faster. It can be very uncomfortable though. So I asked a customer this week, um, I said to him like, who are you? Because we were kind of, we were a little bit stuck. And he said, well, I don't understand what you mean. I said, well, well who are you? Like, oh, well, you know, I'm a spiritual being. And well, no, you're not. So let's make this simple. If, if someone was going to describe you to me, what would they say? They're not going to waste their time on physical appearance. They're going to tell me about the essence of you. What are they going to say? Dead silence. I mean, he's, and, and this guy's a middle-aged guy. He's a hard worker. He's successful. He's married. He's got kids but he's lost himself along the way. Also, if you're trying to improve yourself, or you want to go from point A to point B, you know where point B is. You've got definite numbers in your mind in terms of body fat, in terms of how many pull-ups you can do, whatever it happens to be, but you don't even know where point A is. Well, how we, GPS only works if you've got two locations, right? Like how are we going to get to point B if you don't even know where point A is? And so even starting to draw his attention back to something as simple as, you know, like, like what are the things that make you you? was really interesting because there was dead silence on the end of the call. Yeah, and it doesn't, uh, I, I think it's, uh, as a coach, if you can ask those questions, like you're doing them, you're doing him a, a massive favor. And yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable maybe for you, uh, for him, probably not for you. because Super, you've, uh, super <laughs> awkward, super yeah. awkward. Yeah, that's, that's right. But um, there's a reason that it's awkward. It's like, well, okay, I haven't addressed this. You know, it's not, mm. um, it, that's, that's why it's awkward. Um, we'll, uh, I think we'll probably have to wrap it up here because our, uh, our call's about to, um, to end. So Andrew, thanks very much for being on the podcast and, um, no, thank you. let people know where they can find, uh, find out about you and, uh, maybe a little about the, the book, uh, that you're writing and the books that you've currently got as well. Okay. So my website is readpt.com. That's R-E-A-D-P-T.com. I have a book called Run Strong on there, which is basically the running version of everything I've just talked about. It's about consistency and lower intensity work. And it's basically my journey from being not having run for over 10 years to going through Ironman and having to figure out because, you know, there are plenty of like Ironman run plans, but there's no plan to go from I have, because they all assume you've done a lot of running prior to starting an Ironman. My second ever triathlon was an Ironman. My first one was a half Ironman. So to go from nothing to that, there are some steps that were missing. So I had to create them. So that's what run strong is all about. Uh, my website's readpt.com on Facebook. You can just find me as Andrew Reed. There is a, uh, a public figure page. Um, and there is also a men's fitness group, which is, uh, what is it called? It's called Andrew Reed strength and conditioning for the aging athlete. It's a bit of a mouthful at the moment. And basically you're going to be a 35 plus male, although I'm probably about to open that up to females as well pretty soon, simply because I have both a male and a female group and managing two is getting very difficult. So I'll probably just merge them together. Sounds good. Right, thank you very much again. And uh, I'll put all those links in our show notes. So uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your, well, your downtime and, uh, and with the rest of the book. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.